What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Fantastic. Scott, thanks so much. And welcome, everyone. I'm Kelly Evans, and we do have a massive rally on Wall Street today as congressional leaders say they are on now the two-yard line, uh, close to the touchdown, so to speak, on the stimulus bill. In just the last hour, Democratic Senator Chuck Schumer says the outstanding issues can be resolved in the next couple hours on this aid bill. All this happening as the president is pushing to get the economy back up and running soon. Here are stocks right now. Session uh, highs are just thereabouts. The Dow's up about 1,670 points. That's a 9% gain, and it's well outperforming the S&P and the NASDAQ. Uh, the S&P is up about 8%, the NASDAQ 6.5%. Chevron, a big piece of the Dow rally today. And these gains are the biggest since March 13th. It's also the second largest point gain for the Dow ever, if we hold on to this. We are also back above the 20,000 level uh, after yesterday closing at the lowest level since November of 2016. With today's strong gain, the Dow's only having its worst month since October of 1987 instead of 1931. Uh, still, those comparisons nobody likes. And all S&P sectors are higher today, led by energy and materials. Let's get more on what's driving this action. Bob Bassani joins us now with that. Bob. And we are just off the highs. We were up better than 8% on the S&P 500. Let me show you an intraday chart of the S&P to show you how powerful this is. Every time that we hit new highs, uh, 1025 Eastern Time, 1130 Eastern Time, 1220 Eastern Time, we saw volume spikes in the big S&P ETFs. What's that mean? It means that there's people buying as we keep hitting these technical levels intraday technical levels of new highs. That's buying interest. That shows real enthusiasm. At least they're not heavy selling as we start uh, uh, moving to the downside. Let's take a look at some of the big movers. Energy. Remember, energy's down 40% this month. We have 20% moves in some of these stocks today, like Con uh, like. Uh, ConocoPhillips there, Devon Energy, for example. These are what are called high beta names. They frequently move a little bit more than the rest of the energy complex. But you see these are extraordinary moves today. Banks, remember the bank complex, KBE, the bank ETF, down 35% this month. Big moves up mid-teens for all of the uh, regional banks, particularly the high beta regional banks, even Bank of America having a very good day. So your two most beaten up sectors, energy and banks, are having the biggest rally, and that's definitely buying interest. Kelly, back to you. Okay, Bob, thanks so much. Bob Bassani, we have some breaking news now on Delta. Phil LeBeau joins us with that. Phil, what's going on? Kelly, take a look at shares of Delta pulling back just a little bit after word that S&P has cut Delta's credit rating down to junk status. That is a significant move that it would no longer be investment grave. What stands out here is that Delta, and we're still looking for the official details from S&P about why they have cut the credit rating down to junk status. Delta is widely believed to have the best, the strongest balance sheet among any of the airlines. Be curious whether or not S&P is also going to be making a move on other airlines as they take a look at those balance sheets as well. But again, Delta shares pulling back just a little bit uh, following S&P downgrading the company's credit rating to junk status. Kelly, back to you. Okay, yep, that's a big headline, Phil. We'll continue to follow it. As you said, the shares are still up sharply today. Uh, and there's more optimism that Washington can reach an agreement on a stimulus bill with both Senator Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. 
Pelosi expressing optimism. Kayla Tausche is here with the very latest. Kayla, on where things stand this hour. And that optimism is building, Kelly, as negotiators are nearing the final stretch of talks on a stimulus package to lift the economy based on the proposal put forth by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell last week. Reuters reporting that airlines are set to get about $65 billion in grants and loans. This is something that the industry had wanted, saying that it didn't need just more debt because of its deteriorating cash flow. Then there is a new oversight program for the corporate aid disbursement that the Treasury will oversee. There will be an inspector general and the Treasury secretary will have have to answer questions from Congress. We are also learning that the Defense Production Act is expected to be invoked today. The FEMA director says that he expects that as soon as today. And those were two conditions uh, that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi today on CNBC said were top priorities for Democrats. And just a few moments ago, Senator Chuck Schumer said that what's left on the table now is not a deal breaker. Last night, I thought we were on the five yard line. Right now, we're on the two. As I also said last night, at this point, of the few outstanding issues, I don't see any that can't be overcome within the next few hours. And as uh, members of Congress consider this stimulus package and what it means, they're also considering the president's desire to reopen the economy. Some allies on the Republican side of President Trump's are suggesting that the White House should not do this. Senator Lindsey Graham and Senator Tom Cotton both say that the economy uh, is not going to exist if more people get this virus and the health care system is overtaken. Just last hour, Kelly, the vice president said in a coronavirus task force town hall that they haven't made a decision yet. He said whatever the president's decision is will be made with expert input. You know, Kayla, to that point, we're, we have, com- I don't know what to call it, commentary official statements about uh, maybe moving along in terms of reopening the economy. What, what is the word or the thought process about something like that, as far as you can tell? Well, earlier today, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the top infectious disease doctor who's on that task force, says that the idea is under very intense discussion, but that he still believes that we won't really have the data to see whether this uh, curve has been flattened until several weeks from now. The top military official in the U.S. said earlier today he thought that this crisis wasn't going to end for several months. Um, But then you have people like New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who said that he believes there is a way to do both, to reopen the economy and keep people safe. One idea he floated was letting young, healthy workers who have had the coronavirus and recovered from it, who test negative for the antibodies, that they should be allowed to go back into the office and slowly but surely start the economy running again. All right. Uh, Kayla, thanks. We'll continue to follow that. Uh, We appreciate it. Kayla Tausche. We had $40 billion worth of two-year notes just go up for auction. More scrutiny than ever on what demand is like. Rick Santelli joins us from Chicago for that. Hey, Rick. Hi, Kelly. Listen, anybody who expected wildly strong demand, I I just don't think that's very rational. Auction grade, I gave this one a D plus. Maybe I should have given it a C minus, but I'm a tough grader. Let's go over it. 40 billion two-year notes. The yield at the Dutch auction, 0.398. Yield was a bit high, higher yield, lower price, of course. But here's the dynamics. 2.36 was the bid to cover. That is the lightest since December 2018. 55.2 on indirects was really the only positive here. That's the best since September of 2019. 8.6 on directs. That is a dismal number, weakest since December of 2018. All things considered, 
you know, it, it's a D-plus auction. We still have fives and sevens. Uh, the fact that it was actually not a big tail process on the pricing, I think, is a positive. All in all, I don't think that we should suspect much higher demand considering how low yields have gotten. Kelly, back to you. Okay, Rick, thank you. We appreciate it, Rick Santelli. Let's turn back to Congress and if they pass the stimulus bill and if President Trump does shorten the coronavirus shutdown, can we avoid the sharpest economic downturn in post-war history? Over the last two weeks, economists have been slashing their forecast. Morgan Stanley sees a 30% drop in second quarter GDP. And joining me now on the CNBC Newsline is Ellen Zentner. She's chief U.S. economist at Morgan Stanley. Ellen, welcome. And um, what is that predicated on in terms of uh, stimulus from Washington and the Federal Reserve? Yeah, so I think that um, we take a look at these eye-popping numbers that we put out in our new U.S. forecast with second quarter as the largest uh, single quarter contraction uh, on record. You can start to see, understand why there's such a fire in the belly of policymakers to try to get uh, stimulus passed as quickly as possible. Of course, the Fed with a slew of alphabet soup programs that have gone even further than we went in the financial crisis. And then Congress, while it feels like they act slowly, they've actually been acting much more quickly than Congress typically acts. And especially when you're putting together such a huge stimulus package, you know, we don't know if the, what the final number is going to be. Is it two trillion? Is it two and a half trillion? But we estimate nearly a trillion dollar hole in the economy from the lost output that we'll get this year. And so that goes far in uh, addressing that. So we are going to talk later in the show about some of the businesses and parts of the economy that are still expanding, including, uh, you know, food delivery, things like Instacart, uh, cloud computing. We heard from Microsoft CEO this morning. There's seeing huge demand for that. You know, it's it, why isn't that doing more to offset the hit from the discretionary parts of the economy? In other words, how do you get to a minus 30 percent? Because that's such an enormous number. Yeah. So I'll tell you what we do. Um, we have department huddles with our equity analysts uh, in the firm to really understand deeply what's going on with their companies. And when I hear from our analysts that cover those discretionary parts that, for instance, Kimberly Greenberger that covers retail for us, she has a weekly store traffic tracker that says uh, traffic uh, is down 80% in the country. So it's not down 100%. As you say, there are some things going on. Uh, dealerships are telling us that in some cases here in the Northeast where they normally move 45 cars a day, they're moving one. Uh, and so that is a, a huge drop-off in activity. Again, there is some activity going on. You've got some states that are not as restricted with the social distancing uh, as, say, parts of the Northeast and the West Coast. Um, but it is, it is a, you know, even in the financial crisis, even in recessions, no one was told you can't go out and conduct business. Uh, doors weren't shut in the way that they are now. We estimate that jobless claims, when they come in, on Thursday are going to be 3.4 million. That's wow. a one-week number. That's unbelievable. Uh, that's how many were laid off last week. That's incredible. And so it's a stop in economic activity. And what we're now focused on is what the shape of growth will look like on the other side of that as the social distancing measures are start to recede and we start to we're told to go back in the water. But how quickly do we really want to jump in? Sure, because you know, no matter what the message is from up top, there's going to be plenty of people wary of going back to the restaurants and, and so forth, and maybe rightly so if it helps keep the more vulnerable population out of the hospitals. 
So what does that bounce back, let's call it, look like? And are you watching these events uh, in Washington or waiting to hear from the president, you know, what he ultimately says about, quote unquote, going back to normal? I mean, is there a way that we can at this point prevent a 30 percent drop uh, and get something much, much flatter, much more manageable or or no? So I think it's going to be very difficult to um, to see that happening because, of course, um, it's going to be up to the individual states and locales of what they want to do with the social distancing measures. Um, so um, as you all talked about um, uh, right before I was on, you know, Cuomo's idea of, okay, when it is time to lessen the social distancing measures, maybe we let young, healthier workers that test with antibodies to go back to work first. You know, th- that's going to be a slow opening of doors. And, of course, uh, you know, with all of us working from home, I can tell you that I spend a fraction of what I spend when I'm in the office, right. uh, when I'm just at home. Uh, and so... Um, Are you talking about you uh, know, spend, you know, the money you're spending or the productivity? <laughs> oh, the money that I'm spending. My productivity, let me tell you, 21-hour days when you're working from home in this environment because right. you can get on the phone at all times. Uh, so I tell you, my productivity, I think, has gone through the roof. But uh, but anyhow, the and, and hey, we're the lucky ones that are still working right now. Absolutely. Okay, because we have the, the, the ability to work from home. We're not paid hourly. Our companies did not shut their doors. And so that's really, as an economist, what I'm really focused on is what is in this fiscal package that will really help small businesses get the money they need as quickly as possible, not waiting five to six months to get a loan. That's too late. It's already too late for those that shut their doors last last week. Um, we want to mitigate, uh, the you know, hold to a minimum the, the number that will close their doors going forward. Um, we want to be sure that households get the backstop that they need uh, to not just put food on their table, but to be able to make those important loan payments. And so I would expect some loan holiday programs here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're seeing in, in one of the versions of the bill, the Senate uh, uh, Democrat version, that you've got um, a, a proposed $600 a week payment to those that are drawing unemployment benefits. That really helps kind of make up that gap because unemployment benefits do not go nearly as far as making up for the lost income from the job that they had. Right. So let me ask uh, and you so on there that. are a lot of assistance there. That's important for me because I want to keep this a very sharp and short downturn right. as opposed to a more a longer a longer downturn with a wider bottom, which would be a normal recession. Right. And as we've talked a lot about that 30 percent plunge in the second quarter, you have maybe a third quarter, 29 percent uh, annualized rebound. So again, trying to to make that more of a V-shape. One thing I'm I'm just curious from a policy point of view, um, as these bills work through, there's some concern about the strings attached. So one proposal, um, you know, I've heard uh, out there, I'm not sure which which legislation it's in, would potentially require people to pay back some of the loans that they're given. Or if you're a business and there are uh, conditions attached associated with wages or or other uh, things like that, would that be better or worse, in your opinion, uh, in terms of maybe discouraging people from accepting the money uh, versus encouraging everybody to take it, even those who who may not need it? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I'm always of the mindset that the more strings attached there are, the less businesses will take advantage of the programs. And of course, if you tell a business that here's this critical lifeline to keep you in business, but you can't lay off employees, you know, that's not going to work if 
you need to lay off the employees immediately because you just don't have the revenues on hand to pay them, but you've got to wait for those tax breaks or wait for the loan to come through, right? Those, those temporal differences um, can be life or death to a business. And so I would want to see the, the details of that. But I'm just, you know, for, a, for a theoretical purposes, um, I'm not a fan personally of giving out those loans in times of emergencies with a lot of strings uh, attached. Um, and so I, I think that they can be crafted in a way where you can get the money to businesses where you have uh, delayed payments for quite some time so that hopefully when those loans are being paid back, we're in an upswing in the economy hmm. where revenues are growing and they're able to more to better afford uh, the payment uh, on those loans. And similarly for, for households, if we're talking about loan uh, payment holidays, uh, we've got to have large buy-in. Uh, from households, maybe that's a universal program that allows them to go into those uh, payment holiday um, uh, type uh, program. Where, but we also have to be sure that we're protecting the lenders as well. I mean, this is a no fault situation for everyone. Mm-hmm. We want to try to create as few losers in this as possible. All right, uh, we'll leave it there, Ellen. Thanks so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thanks, Kelly. Ellen Zentner is the chief U.S. economist at Morgan Stanley. And if she's right, some ugly headlines are on the way about GDP and about the economy. Well, there's a lot of talk about investors these days of looking for safety in companies with fortress-like balance sheets. But what exactly do we mean by that? And what should you be looking out for? Mike Santoli joins us now uh, with some cautionary notes. Hi, Mike. Yeah, or at least, Kelly, uh, at least a little bit of a nuanced picture of this whole idea of going after companies that are very financially strong. It, it stands to reason, first of all, obviously, one of the front and center worries right now is that this economic sudden stop is essentially stressing many companies who have a lot of debt. Uh, they won't be able to service it. And uh, obviously, corporate debt markets are reflecting that. So there are you know, established styles and funds that are uh, dedicated to finding those companies that have very, very strong financial profiles, low debt, stable and high profit margins. And this is, really goes under the rubric of quality. Quality is a factor of investing. You have ETFs out there. You can look at uh, Qual, Q-U-A-L, uh, is one of them that's uh, essentially the iShares quality factor. ETF SPHQ is another one. There's a variety of these, uh, and there's a lot of overlap in what they own, uh, as you might expect, a lot of these blue chip names. Here's the thing, though. It hasn't really helped you this year to own these quality companies because they did get a bit overvalued uh, at the peak. And also, it's been such an indiscriminate decline in stocks uh, in the last month or so. So it hasn't really been great defense to date. But if you did say, I want to get back in the market and, and try to emphasize companies with staying power, this is the type of, uh, of stock that would do that. And they now also have generally above average dividend yields. If you look at overlap in the ownership of these quality ETFs, you will find names such as uh, Microsoft, Cisco is in there, Pepsi, Johnson & Johnson, still AAA rated uh, on the credit side. So that all makes sense. The one thing I would throw out there, though, is on a huge relief rally day like today, these are not the stocks that are going to lead your way out. And if you've had a bruising stock market crash, bear market, it usually is not these companies that will necessarily be the big gainers off the bottom. Right. And people might be happy to sacrifice that for the relative safety that they think they're going to get. Uh, Mike, it's good to see you. Uh, exactly. Love the rustic look. Right, I'm Mike Santoli. Let's talk some more <laughs> about these markets and where to find safety. Joining me now, uh, Jared Castellini is the CEO of Castle Arc Management and Nancy Tangler is Chief Investment Officer at Laffer Tangler. So welcome to you both. Nancy, let's pick up where Mike just left off. Um, you think it's a better bet for most people to, to stick with quality and, and not try to capture 
you know, those names that are going to be skyrocket. I mean, how, how could you, right? Like the, the difference, I guess, between trading versus finding good, solid investment opportunities in this market. I think, actually, Kelly, you can do a little bit of both. Uh, we, we have taken gains in some of our consumer staple stocks because, frankly, they've risen to about 6% of our portfolio, so Walmart, PepsiCo. And we've put, it, put those uh, funds to work in things like Chipotle, uh, which gives you some growth trajectory but was attractive on our valuation discipline. So I think if you look carefully, you can. But, yeah, in, indeed, you want to own the highest quality names in, in almost any environment, but particularly now. And that's what we happen to own in our portfolios, large cap, value-oriented companies that pay uh, a growing dividend and have an above-market yield. Sure. And on that note, Jerry, should uh, investors in this market in general be concerned about more dividend cuts coming, uh, you know, more secondary uh, offerings if companies need to raise capital? Yeah, so you have a couple problems that you're trying to solve. Uh, solvency and liquidity. Uh, this, the liquidity problem is still with us. The Fed has thrown the kitchen sink at it, and hopefully it gets solved, but it's not there yet. And you see companies that aren't able to raise funds because of that. Uh, the solvency question, though, is the one that company by company, and Chevron's announcement this morning was a great example. They don't want to get into that mess. They don't want to be in a position where they can't pay their dividend or they can't uh, make good on their obligations. So you'll see companies go through this process now of we're not sure when the, the bottom comes in, and we have to do things to protect our balance sheet. The issue with that is time, right? So the entire market's come down to a level that we're clear in a buy zone for most long-term investors. The question is, how long are we going to stay here? Do we need to stay at these prices for the entire period of internment that all of us are in? Mm -hmm. Or or will there be opportunities along the way? And I think that will be the time where you get to break down individual company balance sheets. Okay. And Nancy, I know you were also heartened at what Chevron said, that its dividend is safe for now. Um, McDonald's, Intel, again, reducing buybacks, but keeping the the dividend safe. Um, So do you think the worst has passed in that regard? Well, that I don't know the answer to that. I I will say this, though, Kelly, um, you know, our valuation methodologies uh, give us a lot of information on the macro situation. So fourth quarter of last year, we were uh, we were concerned about a correction. We went to our clients. We put a hedge on. Uh, that kept us clear-eyed in this uh, in this period. We put the hedge on February twelfth. Uh, we've we've renewed it. Um, but now we're actually starting to think maybe maybe now is the time to purchase calls on a on a long dated basis to complement our long only strategies. So we've been gingerly in buying things like Microsoft, Palo Alto Networks, um, Splunk. Salesforce, companies that we think are going to benefit coming out the other end. And so that goes back to your earlier question. Can you actually get both? But we're also overweight healthcare. We're also overweight consumer discretionary. We were buying Starbucks. Now, when I say buying, I don't mean we were building a 5% position in one day. We're just adding three or four tenths around the edges with available cash and with, um, you know, the, the proceeds we get from selling out of the, the dogs. We exited Boeing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you say we got that 100% wrong, but when, when we were worried about the dividend, we got out. And, uh, and, the, and then we redeploy that money to something that's more productive. Sure. So, Jerry, final word on that. The hardest hit parts of this market have include both the sectors, and the, such as the airlines and Boeing, hurt by coronavirus, and also those like energy, which has its own problems, and financials because of low rates. Uh, is that where investors should look for big upside, or should they stick with the kind of uh, plays that Nancy is describing, maybe tech where the selling pressure has been less intense? 
Sure. I, I mean, here's the problem. All professional investors right now are trying to crowd into the safe trades. Uh, all those names uh, we, that were just brought up and a lot of the names that are talked about right now are kind of the only places where actual fresh money's going. They're still, the only thing that's going on in, in, on the buy side on these deep cyclicals and energy is short covering. Uh, those are the names that, on the other hand, have gotten down 30, 40, 50, 60 percent. If it, uh, from our perspective, I think there is an opportunity to start looking at the better names in the beat up industry. So, uh, to me, Boeing gets more attractive here, uh, hmm. uh, for sure. Chevron and J.P. Morgan, these are names that are going to be more than around, and yet they're down significantly more than the safe trades. And our, or from our sense, there's just not going to be a lot of sellers of those names okay. down another 5 or 10%. And, and you certainly want something in your portfolio, right, that has the ability to bounce by more than 10 or 15. And if we're really going to come out of this, you're going to see a much sharper recovery. And on a risk-adjusted basis, there's room for that type of name. And that's why you want to look at it from a balanced perspective. All right. So you bought the Boeing from Nancy. Uh, got it. Got it. <laughs> Jerry you're Castellini, welcome. Nancy Tangler, thank you both. It's good to see you today. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you. Coming thank up, you. we'll check on these markets, which are just off session highs right now. The Dow is up 8%, 1,519 points, still on pace for potentially its second best uh, day ever. Uh, in terms of the sectors, you can see them on your screen there. They're all in the green. Energy leading the way with an 11% gain today, but strong moves higher across the board. The exchange is back after this. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. Uh, we're checking on these markets real quickly for you. The Dow is near session highs, but two pieces of information just in the last few moments. The first is that President Trump has said he would like to have the country reopened by Easter. That's in just a couple of weeks' time. This followed news uh, on the negative side, which was a spike in the number of Italian deaths, the death toll rising by 743 cases, and some of the markets saying that might have even hurt the Treasury uh, market for that two-year bond at the top of the hour. So again, the Dow still up strongly today, 8.7%, uh, just a little bit off the highs as it weighs those two pieces of news. And while China is looking to lift its lockdown, India is now imposing one on its billion-plus citizens over coronavirus. All this as cases in the U.S. and Europe keep growing here in New York especially. Let's go to Sue Herrera for the very latest. Sue? Kelly, thank you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. Here's what's happening. There are now more than 400,000 confirmed coronavirus cases around the world. The death toll is approaching 18,000. New York State is the U.S. epicenter of the pandemic. It now has 26,000 cases. New York Governor Cuomo blasted the administration and says federal aid, especially for critical equipment needs to increase. FEMA says we're sending 400 ventilators. Really? What am I going to, what am I going to do with 400 ventilators when I need 30,000? You pick the 26,000 people who are going to die. 
Londoners are practicing social distancing as they wait on long lines to buy groceries. Today is the first day of a three-week-long national lockdown. This is the death toll from the virus is surging in Britain. Officials are reporting a record 87 new deaths since yesterday, bringing that country's total up to 422. And as always, for more on the coronavirus, you can always head to CNBC.com. Kelly, back to you. All right, Sue, thank you so much. Meantime, let's check on shares of Boeing, which are up about 15 percent right now, extending a two-day rebound. CEO Dave Calhoun telling our own Phil LeBeau that the company, quote, will find its way to the other side of this. Phil does join me with the very latest now. Phil. And Kelly, the question is, how much liquidity will it have as it makes its way to the other side of the coronavirus outbreak? And when does it end? Earlier this morning on Squawk Box, we talked with Dave Calhoun, and he stressed the importance that the $60 billion they're seeking from Washington help them as quickly as possible and the rest of the aviation industry. I believe we're at the point of the spear provide liquidity and keep our industry and our people warm so that when the recovery comes, we're ready to go. Um, I think it's that simple. And so uh, I always lobbied with the administration and with our congressional officials that the simpler, the shorter term in nature, the better. Again, we're still waiting to find out the final details of the package that Washington will approve. The expectation is that it'll be $60 billion that will go to Boeing and then by extension to their suppliers. So it'll be supporting the supply chain. Calhoun says even more important is the fact that there's ample liquidity right now. The credit markets have to be open. And uh, the burst of liquidity that Secretary Mnuchin has been uh, articulating on your show and and broadly, I think is exactly the right answer. We need to know the credit markets are open, not just for us, but for the entire supply chain. Speaking of the supply chain, some of the more prominent names today, like Boeing, are all moving higher on the expectation that there will be some type of a relief package approved potentially today or in the next couple of days, Kelly. And that's why you're seeing not only Boeing, but also GE, Spirit, Transdime, Triumph. They're all moving higher uh, by the double digits today. Phil, sorry if I missed it, but are these grants, loans, both? That's the question. And that's what everybody wants to know. What are the requirements that go with the grants or the loans? Uh, We finally are getting some details about the airlines, which will be a mix, supposedly, of grants and loans. But we're waiting for the final details in terms of what will be approved for Boeing. All right, Phil, thanks. Uh, We appreciate it for now. Phil Lebeau is in Chicago. Coming up, the muni market on shaky ground as cities shut down and demand for their debt dries up. Can the Fed's new market interventions help bring some stability? Plus, Washington meets housing meets tech. A look at an emergency bill being considered to make home closings electronic. And here's a look at some retailers who are surging today. L Brands, Tapestry, Capri, and Kohl's and Gap all seeing strong gains after disappointing losses year to date. We're back in two. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. 
their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. Welcome back. Let's get a check on these markets, which are headed back towards session highs with a Dow up nearly 9%. That's a 1,655-point gain. Could be its second-best point day ever. Again, the president just moments ago in a town hall saying he'd like to see the U.S. open by Easter. That has also lifted Treasury yields uh, and uh, is sinking the euro against the dollar. Let's check in on the Dow movers. Oil is a big part of the story today, and Chevron is leading the way. Uh, those gains up more than 17 percent. The company reassuring investors this morning on CNBC that it won't be cutting its dividend. American Express, Boeing and McDonald's are also up big, nearly as much in the Dow today, all at more than 14 percent. Over in the S&P, as we mentioned earlier, it's the retailers. L Brands up 41 percent. Norwegian Cruise Line up 35, MGM and American. Uh, these are all names that had been hit because of coronavirus. Now on a relief rally today, Kroger, which had been a beneficiary going the other way, it's down 3%. And with city after city shutting down because of this outbreak, investors have been weary of snapping up municipal debt. Now the Fed is stepping in to support that so borrowing costs don't spike. Joining me now on the CNBC Newsline is Mark Paris. He's the chief investment officer and head of municipals at Invesco Fixed Income. Mark, it's good to see you. And first of all, I didn't know uh, prior to this that we are ta- we have weekly refinancings, basically uh, repricings, I'm trying to say, of these bonds. I mean, that's a huge problem if you have yields spike. So how bad is it out there in the muni market? Yeah, good Good to speak with you. So obviously, look, the muni market has uh, felt some pain here, as all markets have felt some pain. A variable rate demand notes, short end of the market, where municipalities, hospitals, school districts, universities borrow, those rates have really spiked as those are puttable bonds on a weekly basis, and dealers have had to take them on to the balance sheet. We are getting some Fed relief now. Uh, the Federal Reserve is going to take on some of these variable rate demo- demand notes from money market funds. That is already showing a little bit of relief at dealer balance sheets, but it's going to take some time to really flow through. We had rates as high as 7 8% on some of these weeklies and dailies. They've come down a little bit now. It'll probably take a few more weeks to factor out, but very expensive short-term borrowing for municipalities. And like you said, even for some hospital systems, which have a double whammy right now. So if you all of a sudden have this debt trading at 7 or 8%, how much is this? A, who's, who's most exposed? You know, is this usually a small portion of any municipality's portfolio, or is it 100% for some and zero for others? No, it's usually a, a smaller part of the portfolio. The markets are locked down right now. It's very hard to do new issuance uh, with all the disconnection in the marketplace. The muni market has had a big sell-off. We've had seen a lot of redemptions from the retail investor. Seventy percent of our, our universe is the retail investor through either ETFs, mutual funds, or individual purchases. So, um, you know, in the short run, a week or two or even a month won't really hurt the balance sheets that much. Uh, there's two problems here. Obviously, the cost of borrowing for the issuer of hospitals, as you said, school districts, uh, but also the fact that having these short-term instruments on the books by the dealers kind of gums up the, the, the wheels of the system, and it hurts for dealers taking on longer-term bonds and stocking bonds and creating liquidity in the mm-hmm. longer end of the marketplace. Absolutely. So for the uh, cities and, and states themselves, look, the other uh, troubling piece of this is that the plunge in yields, and to some extent stocks, is going to hurt their balance sheets as well. So you have the balance sheets getting worse, 
uh, potentially dealing with uh, costs related to the population sick because of coronavirus, you know, all of their tax revenue in jeopardy because of the economic shutdown, and now this inability to kind of uh, access funding on the markets. Uh, how long can the situation persist? Well, look, we know that this is going to be a longer-term situation. However, I think you've got to think about the essential services that are available in the municipal bond market. We're still going to use our water and sewer system, for instance, uh, while we're all home. There are large cash balances at uh, general obligation. Issuers do have large rainy day funds. Uh, there is large days cash on hand at the toll road uh, authorities and at the airports. We're going to have to watch this on an issuer by issuer, sector by sector basis. Hopefully, uh, a lot of these issuers will get some federal relief uh, in cash as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, we feel like the muni market fundamentally was in a very good place going into this. Yes, we certainly have a question about how long this is going to last, but the essentiality of the services, I believe, will help the Fed, hopefully the federal government, hopefully help a lot of these issuers and the fact that they're, they've been pretty solvent and pretty strong going into this crisis should help uh, as well. Obviously, some things we got to worry about on individual issuers, but remember that the municipal bond market is a lot more collateralized than the credit market. A revenue bond, uh, you know, has that that added factor of maybe a mortgage on a on a facility, uh, a mortgage on a building, uh, the hospital. You have a mortgage on the on the facility, so there's a lot more collateral backed in the muni market than there is in the corporate bond market. So, final question, Mark. Uh, you know, I, I actually go back to thinking about Meredith Whitney's projection after. 0708 that we were going to have, I, I know, I know, ring, rings in the ears of the muni market. Uh, but she talks about kind of widespread bankruptcies and, and, and that didn't happen then. Does an event like this, like coronavirus, risk being that kind of black swan that all of a sudden really puts those uh, sort of balance sheets in fundamental jeopardy or not, do you think? Well, obviously, we, we hope not. We really believe that, um, you know, Look at local, what local governments have been able to do recently, especially at the state level, getting money from sales tax, because now when you buy something on Amazon, you have to pay sales tax to your locality, uh, gambling revenue, cannabis revenue. Uh, so they were really in a good spot. Uh, certainly, you got to do really good credit research. Uh, certainly, you want to make sure that uh, the credits, even if they get downgraded, are still viable in the long run. Right now, we believe that uh, a lot of these places have different levers to pull. Certainly, again, the federal government coming in. It's certainly something to watch and certainly a concern of investors. But the market has seen better liquidity the last few days. Hmm. The market has seen a better tone the last few days as rates are really significantly cheap. If you look at high-grade municipals right now, they're two and a half times that of the long treasury bond. We think things wow. have just gotten too cheap for the risk. Okay, and for sure, uh, people are looking for yield here. So like you said, just to be... Be dis- what am I trying to say? Be be careful <laughs> when you're looking through uh, when you're making these exactly. investment choices. Mark, thanks so much. Exactly. It's great information. We appreciate it. Mark Paris with Invesco. Thank you. Coming up next, as the shutdown threatens millions of jobs, a number of major companies are stepping up to keep America at work. We have the details on who's hiring after this break. And let's get a quick check of markets as we go. The Dow Jones Industrial Average having potentially its second best points day on record here uh, with the gain of 1,500 or about 8.5%. The ITV, the home construction ETF, is up 12% and on pace for its best day since 2009. Toll Brothers, KB Home, Pulte, and Lennar all up more than 14%. Big gains. The exchange is back in two.
Welcome back. Try uh, holding an open house while social distancing is going on and millions of people are worried about losing their income or jobs. The coronavirus is taking a big toll on the housing market with thousands of refis and home sales in jeopardy. To work around this, some senators have now introduced a bill that would make closings electronic. Diana Olick joins us with more. Diana. Yeah, Kelly, any of you who have closed on a mortgage know it's usually done in person, but now many recording and title offices are closed. And while 23 states allow online remote electronic notarization, that leaves a lot of borrowers out, especially those in California where it is not allowed. A bipartisan effort is underway to allow remote notarizations. Senators Warner and Kramer are trying to get it into the stimulus bill. It's important to the real estate market because the real estate market at a time like this when we really have perhaps for many people a once in a lifetime um, refinancing opportunity, um, to miss out on that because of social distancing or miss out on that because you can't get a group of people together in a room would be a, a great tragedy. Now, the opposition is arguing states' rights, concerned that this would be a federal mandate. But meanwhile, you got to get creative, right? One of the nation's largest home builders, Lennar, is experimenting with drive-through home closings, like this one in Phoenix last week. It was remote and apparently worked very well. And in addition, Fannie and Freddie are now allowing drive-by appraisals for some borrowers. Kelly? Was, was that like a 18-inch pen, that, a, po- a pointer of some kind? It was very cool, yeah. This and is all very cool. And they make sure that you knew that the pen they signed with was from a box of new pens, so wow. they would not touch the same pen. It was all very distant. Is this just a temporary, as long as coronavirus goes on, or could this be permanent digital closings? Well, the digital closing, yeah, I mean, look, it's already in several states, and they've been pushing for it for a while. California does have something on the books. It just hasn't been passed through yet, and it would make life a lot easier. So I imagine this will accelerate us getting to these electronic closings. But for now, there are still a lot that are not doing it. And, of course, you've got the recording offices closed as well. So there's a lot more that's muddying the waters. They're expecting there to be a lot of delays. All right. Diana, thanks. That would be super uh, interesting if it does come of this, Diana Olick. Now, despite all of the bad news and concerns about millions of layoffs that are coming, there is some positive news out there for workers. About a dozen large consumer companies are looking to hire nearly 500,000 workers in coming weeks to deal with the surge in demand for their products. Among these companies currently looking to hire are Walmart, Amazon, CVS Health, Domino's, Papa John's, Pizza Hut, and Instacart. Walmart will add 150,000 workers, Pizza Hut 30,000, Instacart 300,000 workers. And not only are some companies hiring, but others have started offering enhanced benefits like paid sick time and child care services. Some are boosting their hourly wages or promising cash bonuses. And UPS and FedEx, while not hiring, are also among the companies that are now enhancing paid sick leave. Tomorrow night on CNBC at 7 p.m. Eastern time, it's a special CNBC town hall. The pandemic and the path forward, we will look at the future of companies, workers, investors, and healthcare with the likes of Gary Cohn, former chief economic advisor to President Trump, and billionaire Mark Cuban joining us for the hour. Plus, NASDAQ CEO Adina Friedman, John Rogers of Ariel Investments, and Dr. Scott Gottlieb. And we do want to hear from you. Send us your questions on Twitter to hashtag CNBC Path Forward, and this will all take place tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Up next, tech stocks holding up reasonably well during this massive sell-off, barely down over the past week and rallying today. Is tech the best bet for your money? Right now, we will look. Welcome back. Retail, space, and tech. The street getting bullish on a few names in very different industries today. Telsey is upgrading Dollar Tree to outperform with a $92 price target. 
The analysts believing Dollar Tree is well positioned to attract traffic and gain market share in a slowing economy. The company's focus on basic and value items will also help it benefit from the recent surge in demand for food, consumables, and household essentials. That's the call. The stock is up nearly 2% Dollar Tree today. Remember, we spoke about Dollar General, similar upgrade yesterday. Over uh, to Virgin Atlantic, uh, Galactic, which I, I should say, which was upgraded to overweight at Morgan Stanley. But the firm is lowering its price target to $24 from 30 This is analyst Adam Jonas, who says the 70% drop in the stock price at Virgin Galactic makes it more attractive as the story and balance sheet remain intact. So his price target still implies 50% upside uh, from the just under $16 it's trading today, and today with a 23% gain. Meanwhile, Needham is upgrading NVIDIA to a buy with a $270 price target. The firm saying investors will flock to companies with, yes, superior balance sheets and robust free cash flow. They believe NVIDIA fits that bill. The analyst adding their transition to AI will accelerate amidst this crisis, and that should help NVIDIA longer term. NVIDIA shares are up 13.5% today. And sticking with tech, the ETF that tracks those names, the XLK, is rebounding sharply today. But it's still coming off its worst week in 20 years, and it's on pace for its worst month since the financial crisis. And with seven days to go until the end of the first quarter, it could be its first negative first quarter performance since 2001. It's down about 17 percent so far this year. So is this a buying opportunity? I'm joined by Steve Milanovic. He's technology strategist at Wolf Research. Steve, it's good to see you. And is is this, I will repeat the question, a buying opportunity for tech? Well, Kelly, in some sense, it has to be because we've become extremely oversold. That's true of most groups, of course. And it's very similar in tech to late 15, uh, late 18 so you have to be thinking more buy than sell here. But at the same time, we think that there are going to be rallies like today. You probably want to fade those rallies. It's still too early to call an all clear. One thing that I like, though, is that you mentioned the XLK, and you've, we've all talked about tech outperforming the last year, but it's been very narrow. The XLK is very heavy in Microsoft and Apple and Visa and MasterCard. Our index, which is equally weighted, has been a market performer. But what I like is that our equal weighted index has started to outperform the last couple of weeks. So hopefully it's not just going to be about large cap when we come out of this. Would that be your advice for investors as well, to look uh, beyond the names that used to be in the trillion-dollar market cap club? I think Microsoft's still up there. It is. I mean, we still like those names. First of all, in the short term, we would still be defensive. And that tends to mean the names that have been outperforming on the way down. It's large cap. It's a lot of the stay-at-home names, uh, Citrix, Zoom, Spotify, Amazon. But coming out of this, and we're not there yet, but coming out of this, we'd be interested in adding to semis, service, services, and those stocks have really been hurt, and then probably going down cap. Maybe not all the way to the smallest market cap, but some small and mid-cap names I would expect to rebound and maybe give you a little extra juice on the upside. And what about hardware uh, and, and the case for those plays? Hardware, I view as a trading group. It's, it's a group I used to cover. Uh, it's a combination of traditional systems companies like Cisco and so forth. I think when we come out of this and the PMI start to improve, investors get confidence in the economy, those are going to be great trades, but they've got secular wind in their face. The other part of hardware is the supply chain. The supply chain acts a little bit more like semis, names like Amphenol, uh, Flex, Jable. And uh, some of those names, I think, uh, you know, could be buy and own when we come out of this. So then finally, since we've outlined a number of places where you do see opportunity, what would you tell people to be most wary of here? We put together a little list of high-dividend yield stocks. Uh, I'd like to think at some point those provide some real yield with interest rates so low. They're not outperforming yet. We would certainly avoid names with high debt. Uh, companies with 
net debt to EBITDA ratios over three are underperforming. Uh, in tech, you generally don't want to add financial leverage to operating leverage. So uh, names like Dell, even IBM added a lot of debt with the Red Hat acquisition. So we'd be careful there. Normally, we'd be saying, watch out for these really high multiple software stocks. The fact is that they're outperforming right now. So you have to be picky, but I wouldn't necessarily be scared off by those high price to sales ratios. All right, uh, Steve, it's, it's good to hear from you again today. A lot of different names across the entire tech sector there. Uh, appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kelly. Steve Malinovich is the tech strategist with Wolf Research. And thanks so much for tuning in this hour, everybody. We greatly appreciate it. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.